Everyday podcast. I'm Nikki Bates. And I'm Liz Hayes. Moms Everyday is a show produced by moms for moms. And our attention is always to make mom's life easier. And in addition to our TV show, we have a very handy website housing lots of relevant information for parents from bloggers, authors, and experts. That's momseveryday.com. And now we have a podcast. Today's guest is the talented and funny Melanie Dale. Melanie is an author and speaker. You can find her work at unexpected.org. She's also been on the Moms Everyday Show as a panelist and contributor. And we keep asking her back because she's so funny and relatable. Hi, Melanie. Hey. (laughs) So Melanie, you're a mom of three and you've written a new book called It's Not Fair, Learning to Love the Life You Didn't Choose. So tell us a little bit about the book. I wanted to write a book for someone who is going through something hard. I think for a lot of us, we see our life going one way. We have dreams maybe for how our family's going to look, how our kids are going to look, how our education or our career or relationships in our lives are going to look. And then inevitably, we end up in a totally different place than where we started out. And some of us experience kind of the death of a dream, or at least part of a dream. And so I wanted to write a book about that. And I think a lot of books try to have all the answers, but I I also wanted to write a book that was okay with leaving some space for questions and just kind of wrestling with some of the hard things that we encounter in our lives. Yeah. So that's my book. And then I also um, kind of use laughter as a coping mechanism. And so I wanted a place where we could be funny about hard stuff. Like sometimes suffering is funny and maybe that's okay to say. Yeah, I think so. Why don't you, and you have a funny story you wanted to read from the book, right? Would you like to do that now? Sure. So in the book, I talk about a lot of the different emotions that we go through um, when we're dealing with something hard. And and sometimes people want to put on us how we should react to something, uh, whether it's we should be sad or we should be angry or, or have grief or laughter or whatever. And I just think all the emotions are good. Like we're created to have a range of emotions. And so this excerpt is from a section of the book about anger. The chapter is called So Totes Righteously Angry on Your Behalf. And so this is a little excerpt from a story of when I went on a road trip with my family. It's called Ruined Beyond Repair. This winter, we decided to road trip to Kentucky to see my aunt and uncle and my grandmother. None of them had met Anna yet, and also they are fantastic and I miss them. Both fortunately and unfortunately, Big Winter decided to dump his whole load up on the south. While our kids managed to make snow angels outside, Alex and I checked reports and figured out how to get home. We decided to go around Nashville since Tennessee was in a state of emergency and the city looked like one big interstate pileup. As we turned off the highway onto a smaller road, I accidentally told Alex to turn at the wrong light. And then I accidentally suggested he just turn around in a little unplowed driveway. And then we accidentally got stuck and felt our wheels spin and spin. We were delightfully suspended in a van with our kids on an unknown road in the middle of a state emergency. Raised in Detroit, and raised in Cleveland, had gotten stuck in the snow like a couple of Southerners. So that was humbling, but not yet. First the anger, then the humility. Like I said, Alex and I are well-matched in the freak-out department. He freaks out about big stuff, and I freak out about little things. As soon as our tires started spinning, I went into calm, serene mode while he used all the words and punched the window. It was like I was shot up with the mother load of Valium and he was hulking out. The next part was out of a movie. I always wondered why country guys needed ginormous pickup trucks. Were they compensating for something? Was it for country boy cred? 
I now know it's for pulling snotty, helpless minivan drivers out of the messes they make. Guys in beefy pickup trucks showed up like angels and dug around our tires and attached winches and towed us out with their huge Johnson mobiles. Go country boys, go country trucks. I'm a believer. Alex and I settled back in silence as we made our way down the street. Several miles later, we finally made eye contact and started laughing. I cracked a joke about all the words and waited to see if he'd laugh or punch the window again. He cracked a joke right back and we were fine. And then we stopped for lunch and Alex opened the back of the van and all the teddy bears collected on our travels exploded onto the dirty, wet parking lot of Taco Bell. He announced, the bears are ruined. They're ruined beyond repair. He kept up with this overly dramatic diatribe as he threw the bears back in the van. Every time he threw a bear in, it would knock the other ones out. He did this at least three times before coming up with a new plan, all while cursing the Taco Bell parking lot. The kids started fake crying and I was in my own reality show, a show about an overly dramatic family tested to their limits on the outskirts of snowy Nashville. I decided to stare at my phone and pretend I wasn't there, and right then I got an email from my Coffee and Crumbs editor, Ashley, about a TV producer interested in interviewing me for a reality show about mommy bloggers. As if reality TV needs more families losing their junk on one another in public. The entire scene was so absurd that I felt a deep snort laugh forming somewhere deep in the bowel region. Alex finished bagging the ruined beyond repair stuffed animals. They're fine, I washed them, I don't wanna worry you and sat back in the driver's seat. He reached for a can of Coke Zero that had been frozen in the car all weekend. It exploded in his hands, and I focused all my attention on not laughing. <laughs> that sounds like a delightful road trip. Aren't road trips fun, especially with the kids <laughs> yeah. in inclement so, weather? So what happened with the reality show? Oh yeah, that didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, because now every time something happens in my home, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad this isn't on TV. Seriously. How do you sign up for one of those? I mean, oh my gosh, no shame, no shame. But it's so true that life just isn't what we planned. And um, you mentioned this earlier. Sometimes we need to survive the death of a dream. What do you mean by that? Um, I think a lot of times... Um, just learning to mourn the expectations that we had can be so powerful. Um, we think things are gonna go one way. For me, the first thing that happened was I encountered infertility and, and went through a five-year battle with that. And it was so devastating. I had plans for how I thought my, my family was going to look. I got married young. I thought we'd have all these kids. And then when I wasn't able to do that, it was so difficult and really just destroyed me. Um, and then finally, after five years, we were able to have a child and then we encountered secondary infertility after that um, and went through another round of everything. And finally, my body was done and, and we settled down to have one child, which was great. And, and we were like, okay, this is enough, we're fine. Um, and then, then we started the adoption process and um, actually have two more kids through adoption. And that has just been such a gift and an amazing thing. After 12 years of, of accruing our children, um, we really thought, okay, that was really hard. And uh, we kind of settled down for like the fun parts. And then over the course of the last couple of years, we've encountered diagnoses for our children. And so I know a lot of people experience that where you sit at the doctor's office and you hear words spoken over your children 
words that like knock the air out of you and, and you don't see that coming and things like autism and ADHD and mental illness and trauma. And so our family now is, is wrestling with this whole new development that we're going through with our children. And so, so for me, with the death of, of these various dreams that I had for how I thought life was going to go, mourning my expectations has been really important. Um, we have these like unicorn kids in our head of how we think they're going to be like, you know, if you play baseball, you think, Oh, your kid is going to play baseball just like you or whatever it is. We just, we kind of visualize what our families are going to look like. And most of the time it's very different from what we ever think it's going to be. And so mourning our expectations um, doesn't take anything away from the kids we have. It actually frees us up to love the unique, amazing children that we have. And so for me, that's been a huge part of, of experiencing the death of a dream and then learning to process that. And you had some other discoveries too, right? Can you go over some like counting the wins, like celebrating small victories, that kind of thing? Yeah. So the, the subtitle of my book, learning to love the life you didn't choose. Um, for me, I realized through all of this that learning to love our lives is not like a box that you check that you're done and then it's over and it's like, Oh, great. I did that. I love my life now. Fabulous. It's, this is a, a daily commitment to do the work of loving your life, even as, as the hits just keep on coming and, and things continue to be difficult and, and you encounter new losses and things. There, there are daily practices that I do to continue to do the work of loving my life. And so, and I talk about a lot of those in my book. And so uh, counting the wins is definitely one of them. Every day at the end of the day, and sometimes throughout the day, I try to take stock and go, okay, in the middle of so much loss, in the middle of, of difficult doctor's appointments and difficult reports from school and diff difficult things that we're going through as a family, what are the wins? What, have, what are the wins for the day? And recently I had um, my child who's on the autism spectrum uh, learned how to tie shoes. And that was my win for the day. I was so excited and I took a picture from a personal collection. And, and so in the middle of some other difficult things for that day, I had that shoe tying experience, which was such a win. And so, so whatever that is for you, um, in the middle of so much loss, count the wins and, and kind of collect those. Um, and, and then the other thing that I think is so important is, is laugh, laugh to keep from crying is what my mom always says. And we do a lot of crying too. We love crying. Crying's awesome. But I think that it's important to cultivate a home filled with laughter. Um, and, and because I think laughter makes us brave. And so when we have hard things in our lives that we're going through, if we can cultivate a home filled with laughter and, and teach our kids to laugh along with us, we are going to be, we're going to encounter things bravely and courageously. And so uh, to do that, I like to notice the ridiculous. Sometimes things going on in your life are just ridiculous. And you could like throw a pity party and, and that's fine too. And if you just need to sit in it for a minute, yeah, go for it. But sometimes you can kind of step back and be like, gosh, if this was happening to a sitcom character, like a fictional person, this would be so freaking hilarious. And so I'm just going to take a minute to picture this happening to someone who besides me and think of it as a funny thing and just notice the ridiculous things in our lives. I like to ask funny questions when, when my kids come home from school, rather than only focusing on the bad things, only focusing on the hard stuff, like ask funny questions. What smelled bad today? What, um, who had the, who had the weirdest lunch was what's a funny joke that someone told on the bus, you know, and just get them thinking about funny things that have happened and, and teach them how to kind of cultivate the laughter in their life. We, um, we do a lot of therapy, you know, find professional help is definitely a huge coping mechanism for us. We, we love therapy. I always joke that we do therapy like other families do soccer. 
and um, we're a big fan. Um, but with that, you know, therapy days can be difficult. They can be draining. And so we now have established a therapy ice cream night. And so for, for those of us who are in therapy, we know that at the end of the day, we're going to have a huge ice cream celebration with all the toppings. And so it's, it's really taken something that could be difficult and turn it into a great thing that people look forward to. Um, so those are, those are a few things. I think also identifying the grace bearers. I call them, I call them grace bearers in my book. These are the safe people. Um, the people who bear with you, who give you grace when you're maybe not handling everything well, when your life is falling apart and you just, you can't have it all together. These are, these are the people that come into your life. They don't try to like fix it. They don't try to solve all of your problems or tell you what to do or tell you how you should be handling something. These are people who just come alongside of you and kind of lift you up. And who are those people who are on your team? Who are your grace bearers? If you want to give a shout out to those guys. <laughs> My grace bearers. Oh, I don't want to leave anyone out, you know? Um, definitely. Just give us a couple. Just a couple. Okay. My friend Chantel is definitely someone on my go-to texting. I have a friend, Julie, I have um, Fabiola and Donna and just several people in my life who are like my go-to people that I text when the world is falling apart and they just kind of come alongside. They'll get angry with me if I just need someone to get angry with me or they'll, they'll be like, what do you need right now? Um, yeah, I'm really thankful for the team that we have, both professional and friend that come alongside of us. So a common complaint from children, at least my children, uh, when they don't get their way is it's not fair. Um, mm -hmm. And so a common response from parents is, well, life isn't fair. So, and that may sound familiar to you because of the title of your book. So <laughs> how have you brought your children into this conversation about life not being fair? Yeah, my, my kids come from three different continents and they have three very different stories of origin and three very different cultures. And um, they are intimately aware of life's unfairnesses, more so than me. They could write a better book than I could about life not being fair with the things that they have gone through as kids. I hope someday they do. And so um, we have a very open conversation about the fact that, that life is not fair and, and circumstances are not equal. And we all have very different experiences in our home. Um, so they're, yeah, very aware of that as well. We, we kind of banned them from saying it's not fair for a while because they just would say it all the time. And you know, as parents, we all we hear is it's not fair. So then they decided to get like sneaky and they would shorten it to INF. INF. I'm like, I, I know what you're saying. And now they're really tricky because they're like, we're just saying the name of your book, mom. It's <laughs> not fair. A new book available wherever books are sold. It's not fair. I'm like tricky. Well done. <laughs> you can't knock them for that. Right? No, I mean, especially if it's in public or something, so people can totally yeah. well played, guys. Well played. <laughs> well, I know we already kind of talked about infertility, but I think when we did this segment on moms every day, it was just really powerful and well done. Um, what you said, and when I think of infertility, I definitely think unfair. Mm. Just and um, I wanted you to talk about what kind of helped you along the way with your yeah. journey um, and what also has not helped. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh gosh. It, infertility is so hard. It is totally unfair. Um, I, one thing that helped me a lot during that time was um, to make today a special occasion. And I think this applies to anyone going through a season of waiting. 
right? So infertility is just this, this monthly cycle of grief. And there's, um, you're just, you're holding on for the call from the doctor. You're holding on for the next procedure. Um, there's a lot of waiting um, with that. And so it's easy to just put your life on hold and just focus on the next phone call or the next shot you have to get or, or the next whatever. Um, and so the idea of making today a special occasion, rather than focusing on the next big thing, just choosing every day, okay, I'm going to live my life today. So, you know, a lot of us have like that yummy lotion, maybe that someone gave you that's in the bottom of a drawer that you're saving for a special occasion or like a scented candle you got for your birthday, but you only want to light it like for special times. And so I'm just like, use the freaking lotion, like light the candle, do that thing for yourself and just make today, even in the middle of the wait, something special. Eat the stinking piece of fancy chocolate that you've like put away for that special moment. Like just forget the special moment. Today is the special moment in the middle of the waiting um, and go ahead and have it. And you know, that's that whole self-care piece, you know, and just taking care of yourself. I think also for those of us who are married going through a season of waiting and, and with infertility, like that goes for time with our partners as well. Um, you know, the coffee with coffee with your spouse, like, um, or going on a date night with your partner, but just, you know, we, we want to make this date night thing really big and, and make it a huge deal and blow it out and spend a lot of money. But for a lot of times, just choose to sit down for 20 minutes and have a cup of coffee before work. Like rather than waiting for the, the time to do the celebration and just take that moment that you have and make it special. Um, so that's, that's definitely one thing that helped me a lot. Um, one thing that I wish I'd done, I wish I'd noticed the, um, the signs of depression earlier. I think when you're in it, especially if you're feeling kind of isolated and alone, you don't, you don't recognize maybe how bad you are until it's really bad. And so for me, I was entertaining a lot of suicidal thoughts thinking like, if I could just get out of the way, then maybe my husband, Alex could move on to like a fertile wife who would be better for him and um and really just kind of my thoughts got really wonky for a while and I would start to kind of think about how I would do it and 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 spiral out of control with that. So I think I wish that I had gotten into professional help and gotten a support system for myself earlier if I had it to do over. Switching gears a little bit, you have a really strong Christian faith. I know you talked about a lot of that in your first book too. Um, and after this year's election, you wrote uh, a pretty poignant post on your unexpected.org, um, a blog post about being a good neighbor and our mm. role in helping each other heal. Why mm. did you write that? And what's your advice? Ooh, yeah, my, my Christian faith is I'm, I'm open about that. Um, but I, I love I just love people and I live in a really amazing, diverse neighborhood. And so I um I want us to be good neighbors, to open up our homes and to get to know one another. I think it can be so powerful um, when we invite people into our homes and we are honest with each other and ask questions and listen, and it would go a long way towards healing, to healing our nation, to healing our relationships. When when we take the time to get to know our neighbors uh, apart from a sign in their yard or a bumper sticker on their car and actually take the time to do the work of relationship. I think that's where healing begins and an amazing community can start. It's so true because it's, it seems like, you know, your first response when somebody's viewpoint politically, let's say, is so different. You're like, oh, I don't want to engage, you know, mm -hmm. and 
but really what we do need to do is talk to talk to these people talk to people everybody who's different um that's how we build empathy that's how we learn um where people are coming from but that can be kind of hard to do it can i think it takes a lot of humility um my first book was all about building relationships um women are scary all about like getting to know friends and and building friendships that kind of go beyond the surface and and get deeper and so it's a passion of mine and and so i think building relationships takes a lot of humility to go I want to be a good listener. I want, I want to hear someone else's point of view from where they're coming from. And I want to lay down my right to my opinion or my outrage or whatever I'm thinking and just go, tell me more about that. Tell me more about where you're coming from or why you believe that or why that's important to you. I want to hear that. And, and what you say matters to me. I care about you. And so I care about what you think about something. It takes a lot of work and honestly, like it can be sweaty and you know, like you get like trembly and sweaty inside and it can be challenging to have those conversations, whether it's, you know, around your family dinner table or having people in your home. But I just think that that's so powerful. That's, um, I mean, I hope when people see me and they hear like, oh yeah, Melanie, Christian, you know, whatever. I hope that they, they know me to go humble listener, like wanting to to know more about me and not just coming on strong with my own opinion. I mean, that's, that's what I hope all of us will be known for. Yeah. Now this is not your first book. So, and you're busy with the world of parenthood and all of this. So I want to know how has the process changed for you? Was it easier this time? Was it harder this time? What was the difference between the two? This, this book, it's not fair, was harder for me to write than women are scary for sure. Um, and maybe not from a time management point of view. Women are scary. I finished while I was in Latvia, um, adopting our oldest and newest child. So I would finish like stay up till two in the morning after a long day with social workers and travel and all that. I would like sit down on my laptop in our little rented apartment and work on that. So certainly it was challenging time-wise to get that done. Um, it's not fair is a very, very personal book for me. It, there's a lot more of my story and, um, and some of the really difficult things that I've gone through in it. Um, you know, it's a book, it's a funny book about suffering. No. Um, so there, there's a lot of the challenges I've gone through, um, in it. So it definitely took more out of me to be that vulnerable and share more about the hard things in my life and how I've come to encounter them. So that was challenging. I also was finishing writing it while I was launching women are scary, which was definitely difficult. Um, yeah. So it, I, you know, and I think what's interesting, my kids are older now and I kind of, in some ways think I have more time for writing now cause they're all in school, but at the same time, in a way they need me more. Um, I mean, I'm not nursing any of them anymore, so it's not like they need my actual body, but they need to talk to me all the time. And so there's a, there's a lot more, I'm sports mom. And, um, and so just kind of figuring out how all that fits together and how, how writing and, um, and spending time with my family all fits together is always a challenge. And anything you're working on now or your next project? Yes. Oh, I'm like both excited and scared to death that you just asked me that because I'm just now starting to talk about it. I, so I, I spent a lot of, it's not fair. I, I talked about my infertility journey in that, but it's not only about infertility. It's about a lot of things. It's about learning to love life we didn't choose. But I really, um, I've heard from so many people who specifically have struggled or are struggling with infertility. And that's such a huge part of my story that I really want to write a book just for people going through infertility. And, um, and I want to call it in freaking fertility 
And so that's kind of my project for the summer. I'm about halfway done with it right now. And so my project for the summer is to kind of keep, keep working on that and get it done. I just, I have so many conversations with couples who, um, you know, it's such a private matter in a way. We're talking about our, our peepees and woo-woos and all kinds of, you know, like really intimate details. And so I have these conversations one-on-one -on -one or like as couples, we'll have neighbors over, you know, friends, and we're talking about infertility in the privacy of our home or like in the back of our church on Sunday. And, and I really wanted to write a book um, where for someone who doesn't have someone to talk to about it where I could just be really honest and say like, here, here's how we got through it with our marriage. Here are some things that we wrestled with. Here are the things just, you know, physically that I went through and how I coped. And um, here's what I, here's everything I want you to know about infertility. Yeah. That's awesome because I do think there's a lot of people who don't talk about it or they're afraid to it. They feel such shame about yeah, it. Yeah, I did. I mean, I definitely, you know, it, you feel like, uh, you know, am I less of a woman because I can't have a baby because somehow womanhood and motherhood for whatever reason, like get plopped together a lot, you know? And so you can start to question your identity and your worth and all of that. I, I definitely struggled with all of that. And so, yeah, I just, I want to wrap my arms around other women who are going through that. And if you weren't busy enough with uh, a, a new book and a family, um, you are doing a podcast as well. Is that right? Yes. Oh, so fun. Yes. I love it. I, um, I've been doing it for about a year. Every other week it's called lighten up. And, um, I ask my guests two questions. How do you think people need to lighten up? And I get a variety of answers from like serious stuff to really funny stuff with that question. And then the second question is, um, how are you being a light in your community? Cause again, I'm just so interested in that relational piece. And like, how are we sharing light with one another in the middle of, of what some people think is kind of a, you know, a darker time and a difficult time? Um, how are we being a light? How are we reaching out in friendship and community and making our, making our world a better place? So it's been really fun. And then we, we talk about pop, pop culture and all kinds of weird stuff too. Well, thank you so much, <laughs> Melanie. Um, and we can get your books anywhere books are sold. And where can we hear your podcast on iTunes, all that stuff? iTunes, Stitcher. Yeah, all, all the technical places on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we are so totes proud on your behalf, Melody. Thanks, guys. So <laughs> fun to see you guys or hear you. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, thank you, Melanie. Yeah, right. thank you.